just the general tone of this conversation. I need to listen to more episodes. I think that doesn't get nearly enough attention. So you guys are doing a service with this type of podcast. All right. Hey there, Scott. How's it going today? Doing well. I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. We're out of the smoky haze up here in the north. And I think we're at a great point to really take a step back here and have the conversation we're about to have today. We've just released, so we're fresh off the episode with Steve Schwab on, I guess it was episode 20 now. And then we had Matt Landau. And I got to tell you, Matt Landau, his episode drove a lot of feedback from a lot of the key people in the industry, or certainly the people that I see as key people in the industry. So I think this is a good moment of reflection at the perfect time. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we pulled him out of retirement slightly because he doesn't do his own podcast anymore. He retired that. So we, like I said, we snuck him out of there, which was fantastic. But how are you doing on your side of things, Adam? I'm doing great. And you know, I, I'm hopeful that maybe we can make Matt a reoccurring guest like, like Steve. I, I don't know if we do it every 10 episodes, but it would be great to have him back. I think that um, we're definitely picking up on some themes. I like that, Conrad, you said this is a little bit of a meta episode, and I think that's a nice way to look at this. It's us six months into this project, looking back at what we've done and trying to either learn from what we've done or realize that we've done some pretty nice things. And to Scott's point, we've been getting some pretty good feedback from the industry and the pieces that we like the best, which is what we went into this hoping for. So I'm glad it's played out this way. But the pieces we like the best are hearing that people feel like they're real discussions where it sounds like we're sitting in a living room together and we're all just hanging out and talking about the industry as a few people that are friends. And I think that's the feel that that's coming off and that's the feel that we were going for. So I'm excited for that. But as for today's episode, we'll look back, we'll see what we've been doing. We'll talk about where we think the industry is today and where it's headed. And then we'll go from there. No, I like that idea quite a bit. I guess I'm the analytical person and I don't know how much exact numbers we want to disclose as far as number of downloads, but we're into the thousands. I can say that with confidence. So a lot of people have listened, which we definitely appreciate. And I know at the end, we always joke about reviews and things like that. And we've gotten some of those. So that's been fantastic. So I feel like it's awesome. Like we're on this interesting path together. I have, as you guys know, I have a different show that I do just with Paul and it's just he and I. So it's a very different dynamic. It's a different format. Um, We don't have any guests on that show. It's just us talking about marketing stuff. This is fun too. This is like a different thing for me to be doing as well. And I think I've learned hopefully a little bit about how to structure the conversation and try to get people pointed in the right direction. And I've had fun so far. So thousands of downloads, people have listened. We're six months in. I think we're on to something and hopefully we can just keep the great guests coming because I think the guest is the star of the show in many respects. And we're just trying to get, get them to pull things out of it. And Scott, you were saying just before we hit record, I think this episode will come out just after this one. But like Maddie from Mount was fantastic. Just going insights from her. And I backed up at the end, Adam, you had great questions and you kept going. So I just backed up last episode and said, you take the, and she kept saying great questions. So I think you were onto something there towards the end, which was good for sure. Yeah. I love the conversations and I love how the evolution of each one of these episodes seems to have built on each other. And I don't think we knew that going into it. I think that was maybe a concept we had when we started to put the outlines together, but I don't think we realized how well each one of these episodes would really tie back together again. And it's nice to see it grow like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. As I reflected in Adam, as you floated this idea around, I reflected of like, all right, what, what has happened? And, I think we tried really hard at first, right? We did these in-depth outlines and we were trying to find our way. We were trying to be real, but then we were trying like so hard. But as we started to just be real and not try to be real, I think it just started accelerating. And I think that's when the story started telling itself better than it was when we were trying to line up the story. It's almost it's almost crazy, right? When we stopped trying to tell the story came through even louder. But I think it's a matter of, 
just how real we started getting. And I want to back up to Conrad for a second, because I've heard a couple of people say that they love what Adam and I are doing. And I certainly appreciate it. But Conrad, I think you're as big a part of this as Adam. And I think I see this as our collective project. The way that you've learned about the business, you didn't know anything about TAN. You have leaned in on the TAN side. And even with the client podcast that we did, you dove in there, you asked the right questions. I, I think you've been a huge part of this. I don't know what we would do if we didn't have your voice. And I don't think we would be where we are if we didn't have your voice. So super appreciate it. Yep. Yeah. yeah, no, I appreciate it. Obviously, Scott, we didn't know each other before this kind of whole project started. I knew Adam, but really didn't know Adam that well, to be honest. We talked at industry conferences and things like that a dozen times, but it was all surface level. So I didn't know what a 40 minute conversation would look like either until we started the process. And yet everything has gone pretty damn smoothly. We don't really talk over each other that much. We tend to have some pretty good flow. And I'll be honest, I listen to a lot of other podcasts. I will sample and taste, if you will, other podcasts in our space. I won't name any names, but some people just don't have, I think, the flow that we have. So if chemistry was a thing, I think it does matter. And I I think ultimately you have to put together things that the conversation flows naturally. And then that's the goal that we try to get that guest minds, the guest that we're talking to most episodes into that mindset as well pretty quickly is that they feel comfortable and they could just talk and it's not like they have to look at talking points or something like that from their outline. They could just give us their honest take on it. And I think that's, like you said, that's when you get the best output for sure. As well. It's interesting. I'll jump on both of those points because I think that's a lesson that I'm taking from podcasts. And if anybody's out there thinking about starting their own I think that it's easy at the beginning, to Scott's point, to go in and really try to over-engineer it and overthink it and, and put together this really tight outline that you've got to follow. And, and we did that. If you go back and you look at the first few outlines compared to what we do today, the outline. I think you scripted horrible. a joke or two for me to read off in there. Like you scripted <laughs> no, a joke that I was supposed to read. <laughs> but I, they were four pages long. I would follow mm -hmm. each one of those points. And now we put together a few talking points and some questions, and then we just let it roll. And it to Scott's point, yeah. it is much more natural once you get to that point. Yeah, for sure. Maybe I'll go your direction then, Scott, because we've talked about different topics so far, and we will sometimes joke about like you handled the operations side. And But what's been your thoughts of the guests that we've had on that are not operationally focused? So like the marketing angles or the other angles that we've discussed, what's been the things that you picked up during from some of those guests so far? Yeah, it's funny. I have learned a ton. So it's funny, Conrad, you even talk, you and I really had zero awareness of each other. But even take a guy like Jeremy, I really enjoyed the conversation with Jeremy. I, and listen, Adam could tell you the day that we started doing business, right? It was a couple of years ago, a few years ago now. I had never- I mean, it's going once, back probably four years, I would guess. Yeah. I had never once crossed paths with Jeremy. Love it. Love his product. Have been a part of it. But just the time to now spend a few minutes with him. And again, then you look and go, that's why Adam was such a great fit and such a great believer in that product, right? We went with Jeremy because of Adam. And so opening up the door to so many of these things, we talked about Maddie, she's incredible. Just learning from and just hearing the depth and hearing all the different perspectives. And I really feel like up to this point, and I'm trying to say this, I'm going to try to say this without being offensive. I'm not going to name anyone or offend anyone, but I think we've done this we've found the balance between the people that are out really doing the work and that are out really leading the industry and kind of the social media stars. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we've really stayed on very much on the community that's really out doing the work. With this stuff, you have the risk of becoming the social media aspect of it in this whole straw man LinkedIn profile and straw man LinkedIn posting. And my biggest thing has just been this, the depth of everyone that we've talked to and learning a ton from them. So it's been amazing. I, I think Steve is an easy favorite, but I got to say, I think then I would have to be Jeremy 
And Maddie's got it. I would wrestle between Jeremy and Maddie. They were both amazing. Yeah. Actually, I was looking back on our archive list and remembering some of the conversations I've had because I've had a thousand since then. So it's hard to remember every <laughs> single one. But I like Justin's. It was one of our early ones. I think it was episode. Yeah. We'll put links in the show notes, by the way, so people can check this out. Episode 11 was Justin Ford's from Breezeway. Again, they've gotten a lot of cred on this show. I feel like maybe a sponsorship coming. But, not, <laughs> like, I know. but I like Justin's because I've, I knew always, oh, he's the safety guy. And again, from the marketing side, I wrote that off in my head a little bit. I was like, yeah, I don't get it. And then he started breaking down the numbers. And I tend to think that way at times analytically. And he's like, all I need is 1% of your revenue to like actually make your property really safe. And I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Why aren't we doing that? And his like his density of information that Justin shared on that episode, I thought was fantastic because in whatever it was, 30 odd minutes or whatever, we went through a ton of information and it was very dense, but it wasn't overwhelming. He was just hitting you with like fact after fact. And that's the kind of episode where someone's going to listen to that several hundred people did obviously they're going to make some change in their business and their property most importantly and someone's life is going to get saved because of that so that, like the stakes on that one were pretty high and i thought that one was a good one of us not just talking about like you said let's talk about the fun things that people get excited about no let's talk about the practical things that actually make the property a good experience the influencers won't talk about things like safety scott they'll talk about whatever cash on cash return or these other things that they're more interested in but that matters a lot and if you blow that you could make a huge mistake so i think we're trying to give people like that 360 view of things and that safety one stuck out to me for sure as, as yeah well. and i would have to agree with that and i'll take it from maybe a micro level to a macro level i really that we do try to come away with some sort of actionable item justin's a great example because his episode is just full of actionable items. But I feel like every episode we try to come away with something that the listener can either learn or implement or some sort of educational opportunity. And sometimes it's us learning throughout that process as well. So I like that on the micro level. I think that each one of these has something that hopefully helps the listeners make their business better, make their vacation rental management better. But for me, what I've liked about the last six months is really more on the holistic level and thinking about it on a macro level. I'm really interested in hearing about the vision that everybody has for the industry at this time. I think that we're in this really interesting part of the growth phase of this industry for a wide variety of reasons, and we've covered a lot of those reasons. But it's really interesting to tie that thread through all of the whatever it is now, 25, 27 episodes that we've had. And we're finding these threads that are common throughout every one of these discussions. Now, maybe it's because we're choosing like-minded people who have similar concepts of the industry. I don't know, but it's really nice to see the way that we've got some core group that has a mindset of where this industry is and where we think it should be going. And we're all driving in that same direction without coordinating what we thought that direction was, but we're starting to pull that together through a number of episodes. One thing that just came up between a conversation that I had with Paul on our thing was we were talking about the fact that some hotels actually provide a vastly superior guest experience than a lot of vacational managers today. And we were given, I was telling him a story about, I've I booked a short-term rental for a concert that we're going to in a few months. And I was basically, the host gave us door code right away, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> Not a professional maybe thing to be doing. But anyways, left gave me that 60 days before I really needed it. And then said, if you have any questions, let me know. Otherwise, text me, basically text me or message me when you go to check out. 
that was like the extent of our conversation through messaging. And I was like, wow. And then I was comparing it to a recent hotel stay that I had when there was a concierge on the bottom floor of the hotel and I had an issue and he came in and he he's like, oh yeah, you have to go this way and then go that way to get where you're trying to go. With the room we ran out of towels. We sent a text message to the front desk and they brought us towels up. And I was thinking like, we need to be careful not to smoke our own stuff, if you will, too much, because I think it's very easy for people in the short-term rental, vacation rental world that we talk to your point, Adam, to talk about how great we are and how everything's fantastic and we offer this great experience. And then some people honestly don't deliver on that. They don't live up to whatever standards they've set for themselves, which was a theme in Steve's first episode that he did with us. It was part of the second episode, but more so the first episode is that the standards and what you agree to do to deliver that experience have to be consistent. And they have to be, in my opinion, improving. It can't just be like, oh, we agreed to do this and then we're just going to do this forever because the guest has higher and higher expectations. And whenever you're comfortable kind of sitting on your laurels, there's someone else coming up behind you that's trying to give you a better experience. And let's say the hotel industry, for example, is not just going to take this laying down. They're just not just going to be like, okay, I guess we lost. Wrap up shop. I guess we'll just stop improving our process. They're going to keep getting better. And ultimately to your, I think your core question, Adam, of what can we do as an industry to improve? I think it's looking at things like that and saying, Hmm. not just saying, oh no, we can't do that. We can't deliver towels. It would be like, how could we do that? Or how could we make the guest experience better? Or what could we ask a guest that would give them a better experience going forward? And maybe a change, maybe it's an operational change. Maybe it's a stocking change inside the property. Maybe it's, I don't know exactly what it is, but hopefully we can figure out ways to improve things going forward. It's not just a binary, like, ah, this is the way it is. So this is the way it's always going to be. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's exactly, I think you're hitting on the core of where we're getting to is that guest experience. And that's one of the biggest threads that I think we're pulling out of this. And maybe it, I, I feel that way because I was heading into this whole project with that as, as sort of my centerpiece where I thought the industry was going, but I think the guest experience, and that's why we keep going back to unreasonable hospitality as our anchor right now is I truly think that the guest experience is the next evolution in this industry. And to your point, Conrad, I think that the vast majority do not get it right. In fact, I find I'm hard pressed to say who gets it right, because I think that guest experience in the vacation rental industry is exceptionally difficult. And we could list a laundry list of reasons why that is. But hotels have been good at this for a long time because they're designed to be good at this. Now, low level hotels got it. You're not paying for that type of service. But if you're going to a hotel that has a concierge, they've built this process from day one with the mindset of that guest experience when you get into the hotel and how can I make sure that you have a great experience while you're there? That's not the case in vacation rentals. I think vacation rentals for the large majority are the house is the end result, right? And yeah. I've said a number of times that the house is the tool that gets them on vacation, but the experience is the whole vacation while they're there. I don't think the industry has caught up to that yet. I think the industry still looks at it as the house. My goal is to get this house rented. How do I get visibility on the house? Marketing is all around the house. The house is really what we need to be focused on. When the reality is the house just gets them to your location. And as managers, we need to think about that whole experience. And to your point, Conrad, how can we do these small things better? There's so many ways that we can do this better. I don't have the answers either. But if you read that unhospitality or unreasonable hospitality book, the tweaks that they made were so small. I'll give you an example that we just came up with yesterday. We were talking on the team and it was an early team meeting every morning. We've got a 30 minute call with the team and uh, guest services said, hey, I just got an email last night from a guest who's coming in. He paid his pet fee, but turns out that his pet has passed away and he doesn't want to pay the pet fee. Can we waive it? And it was like, light bulb went off. I was like, oh my gosh, yes, of course, waive that pet fee. And not only that, we need to make sure that we've got some sort of guest gift for that guest when he arrives, give him a card. And the example I used that, that Scott helped me correct is Chewy, the online company for, for pets, 
they do this all the time. If they have a client that has that typically orders and all of a sudden they change their order because a guest has passed away, they're intuitive enough or have systems in place that they can become aware of that and then act on that. So there are ways that we can do this. We just haven't thought through how to do this yet. And that's really what excites me about what we're going through is it's really exciting to start to take back all of those small pieces and think about how do I tweak each one of these to make that better. Yeah, I've actually, I've had that happen. My dad had that happen. He, he has, we had two dogs, basically. He had two dogs, brother and sister, brother passed away. Teddy, may he rest in peace. Great dog. But yeah, they sent over a dozen flowers to his house and he was very confused. He was like, cause he was actually out of town when they arrived. It was like a few weeks after this happened and he had a trip planned. And yeah, no lie. We went to the house and I was just getting his mail for him. And I'm like, who sent you a dozen flowers? Do you have some secret admirer or something like that? Opened it up, chewy handwritten card in there. Obviously we learned about Teddy because you canceled the auto ship and we're so sorry to hear about it. If there's anything else we can do, let us know. And I was like, holy smokes, you know, what an experience from Chewy. What did that cost him? 50 bucks. Here we are talking about it. And a lot of people have had that same experience, Adam. So this is not a one-off to your point. I'm sorry, Scott, I cut you off, but yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's funny, right? Because, because if you really look at what we're trying to do, and let's even take one step back and say unreasonable hospitality, that all started on this podcast, right? Rebecca Lombardo said, hey, have you heard of this book? And we that all led into this, right? So it's a funny thing how this podcast has really pushed it forward. But as we've been doing it, Conrad, and Adam just hit it, and was, I grinned, this huge grin as soon as he brought it up, our first step in unreasonable hospitality has been a extremely simple one. Hey, here's what we want you to do. We want you to listen, mm. right? We yeah. want you to just listen and hear what's actually being said and pick out a word, right? Pick out one nugget that, that you're going to use with that guest or traveler or client to do something special with them. And it's starting to, it's starting to pick up steam, right? And we have the, everyone out on here on the floor, all the call center agents, we've asked them to do that. If you have to ask for one word, that, that they're looking for out of this vacation. But what we're trying to get them to do is, can you get that word without actually asking the question? And it's been fun, right? The agents are having fun with it. They're starting to learn. I think Adam's example on the call, really pushed it forward because I will tell you, it's our standard 930 call, right? What's going bad? What's going good? What are we going to work on today? And then Adam has this moment and it actually lifted the whole call, right? Now everyone's excited. And my guess is, now it's going to start, right? Now it'll be the next one and the next one. So I think from our perspective, it was this moment of listening. But I want to go back, Conrad, real quick and touch on what you said, because I've always had this belief and I've always looked at it most specifically for my biking, right? We know that I'm a bike nut, but I, I've always looked at it and said, it's a myth about you can, I'm just maintaining, right? Maintaining is a myth because it's impossible to maintain because people around you are moving forward. Right. The minute someone else moves forward, you're no longer maintaining. You're behind what the measurement stick was. And I think that's what we're starting to see, too. And to Adam's point, I think for a long time, we were doing damn good in order to have that house clean and ready at four o'clock. And a lot of times skidding out of turn four, done, 359, get in there. And that was that was the experience. We saw that as like, done, here you go. So I think there's a lot left on the table. Yeah. 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 I have a video posted to LinkedIn. Probably by the time this comes out, it'll already have been posted. You guys haven't seen it. So I'll explain what it is. So it's a blind woman who goes to a restaurant and it's her birthday. And they actually take an empty plate 
and they put in braille on the plate happy birthday in like lettering with chocolate like little chocolates for dessert so she's putting her fingers on the plate and she's running over it and she goes oh my god you wrote me happy birthday in braille and the text that i put in the linkedin post is what did this cost the restaurant pretty much nothing obviously i mean whatever maybe 19 cents of chocolate fondue drip was put on the plate but it cost them nothing but what did it mean to that person everything she's crying literally in the restaurant and is oh my god you guys are amazing so i think that's what also what i look for too what that is going to cost you adam you waive the pet fee technically that's going to cost you all money right you just gave away a hundred dollar pet fee that you probably would have charged if that pet was alive but that person the memory is going to have of it is damn these guys actually care about me and that's a completely different experience than i would argue giving him just the money back and just being like, oh, sorry. Like the experience that he's going to have is so much different. And it doesn't have to cost money. The Braille chocolate on the plate didn't cost anything basically or virtually nothing. And that person, it went viral too. And the restaurant was got a lot of, of good press from it. So I think that's the kind of thing that ultimately matters quite a bit. And a lot of these ideas, I think, don't have to be that. They don't have to be some grand gesture or some golden trophy or something like that. It's just small things that are showing you care that people have a good experience by. And I think that can make all the difference for sure. Yeah, it's cliche to say it's the thought that counts. But in these examples, yeah. it truly is. And to Scott's point, it's slowing down to listen. But it's also slowing down to build that relationship with somebody, right? It's thinking about what that person is saying on the other line and then trying to have a conversation and have a dialogue and build a little bit of that relationship. Because once you build that relationship, that's when you start to be able to tease out whatever that next step is, whatever the idea is. And I don't know what it is. To your point, that waiter in the restaurant was attentive enough to find out, oh, wait, not only is this person blind, but it's their birthday. I'm going to do something different. I'm not going to come out and have everybody sing to them. I mean, that, to your point, very low cost, but on the emotional side of things, that is so high level to actually think through that. But as much as I say it's high level, I don't think it's overly complicated. I think it's something that we're, we can all do. We're all human. This is just humanity. It's taking the time to look at the other person and think about them. So I'm, I'm really excited about where the industry is going in that regard. Now, to that point, vast majority probably isn't thinking like this. The people who have been on this show luckily are, and that's why I'm excited about that macro threads that we're starting to pull, because I feel like there is a core who's starting to drive the industry in that direction. Yeah. I know we have an outline too, talking about like the market dynamics, maybe bookings, like where things are at today and what I see. And I think maybe we can go in that direction because I think it dovetails in the next piece of the conversation, which is that if bookings are down, who's going to survive? And I think the people that are going to survive are actually the people that care about the guests. They care about the owner. We haven't really talked about the owner a ton so far today, although it's been a topic of many previous episodes. And it's ultimately someone who's going to trust that long-term, a temporary moment or drop in demand isn't going to be this negative thing for you. Whereas all the spreadsheet, spreadsheet finance bros that you certainly see talking in this industry maybe a little bit too much they'd love to hear themselves talk at least those are the people i think where if they can go get returns arbitraging bitcoin in mexico they're going to do that if they can go do something else they're going to do that and that's fine i'm not completely opposed to that mindset i invest my money into companies that i hope are doing smart things with their spreadsheets to make my investment grow there's some logic in that obviously but i don't think it's the it's not the heart of what people actually want in the experience of staying in a vacation rental i don't think people want to know oh you bought this paint because it was cheaper than the other paint even though it's flaking and turning off the wall that's kind of a bad experience for me and my child fell in her mouth or something like that. I could picture that happening. Good for your finances, bad for my experience. So I think that's the, that's like the rub of figuring out long-term. 
is that pr- hopefully any vacation rental company should be able to sustain today a little momentary dip or drop in bookings. If you experience 2020, then you saw for most markets, bookings literally go away and hundreds of thousands of dollars of refunds and stuff like that. So if you can sustain a little bit being down 10 or 15% now, it shouldn't really be that big of a deal. But what are you setting yourself up for down the road? How are you going to thrive as opposed to just survive, which I think is what a lot of people do in these types of scenarios? Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. And I think that the challenge to your point is you're going to have companies that are looking at these numbers, they're looking at the dip, and they're going to start to think about how do I cut costs? And that could be personnel. It could be on the experience side. And once you start doing that, I think you then start to have the potential to take away from the experiences that we're talking about. So I think there's a balance that this industry is about to walk through. And I'm glad that we transitioned because One of the threads that I think we've pulled on the macro level through the all these discussions is that experience. How can we make that guest experience better? And I'll I'll say client experience because I'll lump homeowners in there. I think that you're 100% right, Conrad. Half of the equation is homeowners and we need to show them the same type of love that we're showing to the guests. So overall, client experience is one of the aspects that I think we've teased out of this on a macro level after 25 discussions. But I also think that the other side of this that we continue to go back to is the adjustments that we're seeing in the industry on the economy side of things. As reservations go down, as the economy tightens, as the ADRs are becoming lower and lower, there's a lot of decisions that are being made. I think part of this industry is still trying to be blind to the changes that are coming. I think that's becoming harder and harder. But for the first six months, there were a lot of people who were saying, hey, we're good. It's going to continue as it is. I think that's shifting a little bit, but there's still some people who are trying to build their bury their head in the sands. But it's interesting now because I, one of the reasons I brought that into the outline this week is because I saw your post, Conrad. So I'm really interested in, in what mm-hmm. you're seeing, because when you look at numbers, it becomes hard to say that, no, things are the same. So what are you seeing from a marketing side that's indicating that times are changing and reservations are becoming a little bit harder to come by? My, I think the point that I was making in there was just that just because you look at macro trends, I think it can be misleading. So like you see a market and I, they just did the STR skift. I don't know what the right terminology is, presentation, basically, the SCIF puts on annually a few weeks back. And I was reading some of the data that AirDNA puts out, which is great aggregate data. I'm sure it's as accurate as they can make it and they do a good job. So I don't mean this in a criticizing way towards AirDNA by any stretch, but it's okay. This number's up 10%. This number's down 6%. This number's up 4%. This one's down 8%. But I'm like, yeah, but what does it mean for you? And and the example that I was giving, I think in that clip was imagine you have a bunch of five bedroom houses. If all the market demand shifted to small couples escaping and doing romantic getaways to the outer banks and it shifted away from five bedrooms, then you're left holding the bag. Sure, the market demand is relatively similar um, because the number of people booking might have actually stayed the same, but they all shifted from five bedrooms, large houses to two bedroom condos. And you have a bunch of five bedroom houses, you're left holding you're left holding the bag, if you will. You're not in a great spot. So the struggle that I think a lot of individual property managers have that we deal with frequently is how does it how does this impact me especially if they have a high concentration of a specific type of inventory or a specific type of guests that they're going after so that particular profile of people may be impacted more than others and they may see a 25% drop because the drop in five bedroom demand was so significant that it makes a big difference so that's the point that I was making there was that looking at macro numbers can i think create a little bit too much of the tide goes in the tide goes out it moves such a small amount every day but you you could a tsunami could hit your little beach and it could actually really impact you with regards to that little micro level of it. So that's kind of my broader thoughts on it. That's really interesting. Sorry, Scott, I'll let you get there in just a second. So that one's really interesting to me, Conrad, the way you built that up, because I don't disagree with any of that. But what I I will say is that 
it layers in the complexity of this industry because what you're talking mm -hmm. about is not only statistics at a market level, but actually statistics at each individual company level, because you could be in a market and to your point, the tsunami could be hitting the beach, but for whatever reason, your mix of units in your particular company, avoid that tsunami. Maybe it's, you're the one who focused on the two bedroom condos and everybody switched into going to small two bedrooms and it's all the companies with the big homes that have the problem. That's a drastic example, but to go along with what you're saying, it gets down to those very nitty gritty stats. And one, I don't know that companies are thinking at that level enough. I think that's probably an area in this industry that we can do better at, but I'm curious about where we would even get the right stats to look at that. Everybody's looking at the macro stats because that's what the players in the industry are pushing to the top. That on LinkedIn because everybody's sharing that. But if you go down to that market level and then down to the individual company level, I wonder if there's enough data out there or at the very least enough people looking at that data and pulling it out to actually make those decisions. If they're not, we should get to that point because you're 100% right. Things are changing, and the only way we're going to know that they're changing is if we're looking at the right data. Yeah, so Adam, it's funny because I, I hear you on the data, and especially you're a data guy. Conrad is most certainly a data guy, as he said. But I think some of the answers lie within community, right, and having conversations. And we've talked about this, right? I've voiced where I stand on the conferences, right? We all reference Verma, but it's bigger than just Verma. But right, the, I think the missing part is we're not having real conversations or there's a majority of people, maybe it's 50-50, maybe it's not majority, that aren't having real conversations. That we've got to, in the communities, and certainly Adam, we're lucky to be a part of Casago, but remember, Tom's bringing all of it. So we're having those conversations. We're getting access to everyone. That's the missing part. Like every, the answers exist among us, right? The answers exist among the people that we work with every day, except for where they're suffering, they don't want to tell you and everything's great. And oh my God, Adam, think about our, one of our friends slash competitors that we dealt with. Oh, we're having the best year ever. Nothing's off here. And it's like, really nothing's off. You, everything's perfect. Yeah. So, so I think there's a twofold thing. And it, certainly we have some competitive side of this, but there's also the side that it's all of our industry. And if we can't have real conversation, will the data tell us? Yes, no, maybe. And like you guys are saying, there's some move from a five bedroom to a two bedroom or the work from home movements dying out. So that's changing things a little bit. But if you really think about it as a community, we have all of the data and information we need. We're just not being honest with each other. We're not being real with each other. We, if you put a group of us in a room, we have more data than actually exists. Yeah, I, mean, that's I think that's a really good point, Scott. I think that having honest discussions and also part of that being honest with ourselves about what's happening and what's happening with the businesses and in that community, I think is really important. That was one of the things that we talked about with Keystone is that's you get into a room with these people for three days and everyone opens up and is very honest really quickly. Not that we were talking about the data behind a lot of this, but you could see the benefit of having those open and honest conversations. So yes, I would agree with you. How do we get there and how do you motivate an, an industry <laughs> more open and transparent? I don't know. That's probably a bigger discussion, but I agree with you that we probably do have the answers to a lot of what we're looking for. No, I like this last bit of our outline here. So we'll leave some time for this because I think it's worth spending some time going into. And you had, I think this in the, auto, in the outline from your end, Adam, excuse me, which is the industry SWOT analysis. So first of all, what's a SWOT analysis? Not everyone went to business school. So what's a SWOT analysis? And yeah. then what would be your initial outline that you'd like to draw around that? Yeah, sure. So it was interesting. I was just putting together the outline this morning and I, I, this one came to me and I thought it would be an interesting exercise for the three of us. One, because we had the six months of having the discussions and thinking through some of these things. 
But two, just because I've never heard anybody do this, not on an industry level anyway. So a SWOT analysis is strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And typically you'll do this for a business or you'll do this for a segment of the business. So you can start to understand where can you start to capitalize on your strengths? Where do you want to improve your weaknesses? What does your competition look like? And what are the overall threats to, to your particular subject matter, whatever it might be? And as an, on an industry level, I think we've started to pull on these threads. We've talked about them today. And I think that in all of life, a lot of the paradoxes, a lot of the opposites tend to find a middle ground. So you've got strengths and weaknesses seem to be the opposite. But if you start looking at them deeper, you start to recognize that, oh, wait, there, there are a lot of commonalities between those strengths and weaknesses. So the way that I, I outlined this, and I like to think about the negative before the positive. So I went into this with the outline of what are the threats and what are our weaknesses as an industry? And then what are the opportunities and what are our strengths? So we can start to think about how do we improve on those threats and weaknesses? So I'll leave it there and maybe open it to you guys since I've chatted for the last few minutes. But what I'd love to do is maybe start with weaknesses, the threats around those weaknesses, and then we'll move and finish up with some of the positive side. Yeah, I think threat wise for me personally, I think you can't, you have to start with regulation. You have to start with how do we, how do people who stay in the properties interact with the community and their neighbors around them? I think you can't skip that piece because ultimately, if that's bad, if that's everyone is terrified of a short term rental being next to them or near them or even in their community in general, then where do we land when we're the villain in that scenario? So I think you have to lead with that, in my opinion. Ultimately, if that were, not able to be put into a place where people were comfortable and hopefully even happy or see some benefit in being next to or near a short-term rental, then we're just going to get legislated out of existence. So that would be my thought as the most obvious threat. I think that's maybe one and then one A or something like that for me would be what do we what sort of experience are we giving the actual guest? And maybe the threat, the way that I would describe it is not delivering on what the guest actually deserves. So they, again, we had the value discussion a while ago, get value cost is what they pay or the price is what they pay. The value is what they get. And I think that's the other threat is not delivering on the, the right guest expectations. So they don't feel like it actually offers anything better or different or more unique or differentiated than other solutions out there. So those would be my top two, but what are your thoughts, Scott? Yeah, yeah. One of them is the name that we've tried not to say, right? And I think the biggest threat to the industry is what's about to happen to Vicasa, right? Everyone wants to know what does that look like? And I think I think Conrad, it goes to the exact same point of leaving a blemish on the industry, but not from a legislative side. If you just talk to some of the owners, right, or just see what they're doing in these areas, it's not good for the industry. And I think they're probably a pretty good technology company. And I know from an owner standpoint, the owners certainly love their actual owner functionality from a communication standpoint. But the fact that they put themselves out in front as these operators, I just, and we've talked about it even in our market, right? What the hell happens when the wheels start to come off? And what does that look like? What's the message in the community? We got to reach out from a major community in Delaware, right? Hey, as soon as season's over, we want to get them out of there. We need to get you guys in front of the owners, right? And you look at it and go, there is benefit, but what are those owners coming back for? What, how pissed off are they? Who do they think broke things? Is it Vacasa broke it? Is it the industry's broken? I think that by far is the biggest one. And I don't think to the same extent, but I think the other ones are the people that we've been talking to, the people that came flying in here in 2019 that are all believing that this is just the world's easiest business and, oh my God, you can print money because they're going to hit a reality too. And I think it just leaves this really bad taste in owner's mouth. And I think we're going to go from all these things we can do for guests, which is super important, 
But I think we're going to be dealing with a bunch of, and this may be a bit of an overstatement, but I don't think it is, a bunch of wounded owners that are going to be very difficult to try to say, okay, how do we reset and how do we take you forward? We are a good business. This is a good industry. Now let's go forward together. Adam? Yeah, I, man, I agree with all those. And it's hard to add anything to that. So I think what I'll do is bring it up a level and think about it from the macro and, and think that all of everything you guys just said is 100% spot on. I think the piece that ties that together is the story that we're telling about the industry. And that's a collective story. What are we calling it? I've heard people on LinkedIn or seen people on LinkedIn this week talking about is it vacation rentals and short term rentals? What are we calling it? And I, I don't want to wrestle about a name because I think that one's a hard one to win. But I do think the story that you tell about managing vacation homes, managing short-term rentals, what the overall benefits of the industry are on the community level, on the homeowner level, on the guest level, I think that we've allowed this to happen organically to some degree. We haven't collectively tried to tell what our story is, whether that's through commercials, press releases. I don't know what the answer on a holistic level is. But I think that the story's being lost. And to your point on both sides, from a regulation standpoint, also from a Vacasa falling apart standpoint, I think that that story or the lack of that story is going to allow people to dig in further on those negative aspects. So especially, right, Vacasa falls apart and we could go into a whole episode about what the potential outfall of all of that is. But if that happens and you start to get negativity on the guest side and you continue to have negativity on the homeowner side, all that's going to do is drive people further away from the industry from a management and a guest perspective. But it's also going to drive regulations further into every one of these communities because people are going to have a bad taste in their mouth. So I, I think that one of the biggest threats and weaknesses that we have right now is our overall story that we're telling back to the general market. And that starts, I believe, on an individual level. I think that we all, and Scott mentioned this a number of times, is getting back into the community and actually telling our story at a community level. And then as you tell it on an individual level, I think that starts to tell it on a market level. And then that starts to tell it on an area level. And then ultimately you start to tell it on a national and international level. But I think that this segment of hospitality is still undefined. And the 2019ers, as we've referred to them, are part of that problem because they came rushing in and tried to say that everything was good. But the core managers who have been here for 30, 50 years are just as much of a problem because we've had that much legacy time to build this story and we haven't built it. So I, I think the biggest threat in our current weakness is that I don't think the hospitality industry as a whole, the traveling public, I don't think they really understand what vacation rentals are because we haven't told them what we are. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's hard to get that alignment because like you said, can't even agree on what we're called. So imagine <laughs> trying to line on some bigger vision. Imagine you just met someone and it's, is it Adam or is it Ace? What's your name? And you can't even get that right. How are you ever going to get to that next stage? We've got about five, seven left. So maybe we can flip it and try to maybe talk about the other side of it. Yep. What are the opportunities and what are the strengths of the industry today? Maybe I'll go first as a way to steal your thunder if you're not too opposed to it. So I think strengths are that the product is better. The actual product of staying, especially myself, I have three kids. When I go stay in a well stocked, appropriated, professionally managed vacation rental home, it is bliss compared to staying in the other alternative products out there, hotel room or even connecting hotel rooms or something like that, night and day, right? Especially when you stay in a property that makes you feel something. I've stayed in properties before. This past year, I've stayed in a property with my wife 
walked in the door. Everything was beautifully done. Everything was sparkling clean. Everything was exactly as he expected, run by a professional host. And honestly, it made the whole trip, the whole experience of everything better. We laid our head at night down on this comfy pillow and everything was just better than home. It was better than home. It was actually better to be at this vacation rental that we stayed at versus in our own bed that we sleep in every night. So I think that's there's a reason why people are drawn to it. All the headaches and issues and problems that we talk about, there's a reason that when that family walks in and stays in that property, I think a lot of them go, this is awesome. And I think we need to embrace that. And that's a strength in my opinion. Um, Better than home. You, know, you just came up with a good name for something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Put a pin in that. We'll come back to that one. So that's, I think, a strength for sure. I think as, as far as opportunities go, we, we touched on it earlier in this episode, but it's like we can keep improving on the guest experience. We, like you said, we've only scratched the surface of what that looks like. I'm imagining, and like Wander, I think, is trying to do this. And I don't know exactly how well they're doing it. I would stay in one of their properties, but they're trying to make it this integrated experience where you book one of these properties through Wander, a vacation rental property through Wander. And it's all the app not only handles your check in, you also have a concierge inside of it. You also have the same experience if you go book another property, they're going to remember all your preferences and save them and put them in that property. So I think things like that, the technology around the space, sure, it's a little chaotic, sure, it's a little fragmented, but when it's lined up right and the guest gets to put that technology in their hands and see what that can look like, having a really nice guidebook, these types of things, I think it makes everything a lot smoother and a lot better for the guests. So I think we're already making some progress there, a lot more to go, obviously, but I think we're on the right path in those respects. So maybe Adam will go to you first for those strengths. Yeah, sure. So I would agree with all of that. I think that as a on a product side of things, hands down, if this is well run and done the way that we all think that it should be done, vacation rentals are the best way to travel without a question. And we hear that all the time from everybody who stays in it. And if you think back to your first time when you stayed in a vacation rental, it's an aha moment where you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that this was even an opportunity. Why would I ever stay in a hotel again? Now, granted, I've stayed in plenty of hotels since that time, but that's that feeling that you have. Oh my gosh, I just uncovered a secret. So I do think that this product, this segment of hospitality is an amazing place to be. And I think that there are a tremendous amount of strengths around what the product is. Now, if you take that further, that goes back to everything we've been talking about. I think that the product, the house is still the tool. And I think that as an industry, the opportunity that we have is to start to think about this on an experience level and really start to make this more of a full thought process around that experience. And again, not just for the guest, also for that homeowner. We need to make them part of this process and see where the value is of having a vacation rental home and keeping that in a property management program and really running it professionally. I think we need to drive towards that professional level. And I know the industry has been trying to do this for a long time and trying to set standards and a lot of it probably has to be led by example, right? So hopefully that's what we're doing as operators, as through this podcast, as commentators on this is hopefully we're starting to drive towards that professional level. I think that's the biggest opportunity is to continue to professionalize this. I think when we go back and I mentioned the gaps that we have or the strengths and weaknesses, I think a lot of that centers around the fact that we have not been a very professional industry. We are still in, in infancy if you look back and think about where we are and what we're trying to do. So I think that the threats and the weaknesses, I'm not surprised by them. I'm also not that worried about them because I think we're still so early in this concept that we have a great group of people that will drive in the right direction. Yes, there's a risk that other things could happen, regulations, Vacasa, whatever it might be, there are threats to the industry. But there's so much opportunity that I think it outweighs all of those threats. We just need to think one step at a time. How do I improve this one step? How do I improve that next step? And there's so much opportunity when we start to do that. If we all just 
think about professionalizing and thinking about improving that other side. And there's two pieces that I think you said that caught my attention there, Conrad. One was better than home. That is such an amazing concept. If people enter our vacation rental homes and they leave saying that was better than being at home, that is exactly what we're looking for. That's the gold standard. You had a better experience than when you were at your house. Because for a long time, we've been trying to get homeowners to recognize you have to at least get them to the quality of what their house was like at home. Hopefully we can surpass that. The other thing, and this is ultimately, I think the most important part, is you talked about feeling. You, you felt when you went on that. And I think that's what the next step in this industry, I mean, really life in general, right? I think that it, hospitality stretches across everything. And the core of that is people remember how you make them feel. And that's really what we need to drive to on a professional level, on an experience level, is we need to listen and we need to think about the other people and have that dialogue so we can understand what they're trying to feel and try to get them to that feeling. I think we just try to push people into whatever zone we want them to be. To Scott's point, oh, we're out by four. Our hands are done. It's up to you. We really need to dig into that feeling side of things. Yeah, it, it, mine will be simple. And I agree with everything both of you said, but I think mine's at the higher level. And mine is community is rising. And I think the right community is rising. I think it's becoming more and more tangible. I think we've all seen a recent dust up and there was conflict in a community. And all of a sudden, p sides were picked very quickly and very strongly. So I think community is rising. I think it'll continue to rise. And I think the opportunity super simple and probably stated in the most direct way from the ops grunt is if you can't cut your shit and be real with the people in your community, you're in the wrong community. Because it, 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 that sums up everything we're talking about, right? If you're in the right community and that community is rising, that community will continue to rise if you just can sit down with your community and say, here's where I'm struggling. Here's where I'm strong. Where are you struggling? Where are you strong? And let's continue to put the pieces together. Like a, I think that's a great place to end it. And I think we're at time as well, gentlemen. So perfect timing all around. This has been a great episode, very different from our normal one, but I think it was fun. I had a good time at least. We'll put a bow on this one. If you've listened this far, then you must like what we're putting out here. We're however many episodes in at this point, I don't even know, 28, 29. Leave us a review. That would mean a lot to us. We appreciate that. And we'll certainly get back to our normal format, if you will, going forward. So check yep. out for those episodes. Maybe we'll do these every six months or so yep. and reflect on where we're at. So thank you guys. Thanks, Scott and Adam, for your time. We appreciate it. And we will get you on the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. See ya.